sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one. One of the most common sticking points for many people when they think about the Catholic Church is her claim to infallibility. But to paraphrase Inigo Montoya, infallibility doesn't always mean what you think it means. So what does infallibility mean and what does it matter? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've got a blazing fire uh, today, actually, <laughs> thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Bill Seeley. Uh, before we get into the topic of infallibility, though, we want you to know that, as always, we love to hear from our listeners. So if you've got questions about this topic or any topic, if you've got an idea for a future episode, a uh, topic that you want to hear about, please contact us. The easiest way to do so is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Uh, I am still joined by my co-host. Still. <laughs> it's the new year. I was hoping for oh, new year. No, no. no one volunteered. No one volunteered. I have to ask you. Okay, so we yeah, had I our... hear you volunteer some people things, though. I do I sometimes, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, we had our... Catholic Views Christmas special yes, recently. Yes, yes. And I, I gave out your ignition email a couple of times in case there were complaints yeah, or no complaints. It, no, nothing, no. Oh, good. Nothing, nothing, good. nothing. Or yeah. no one watched or no one watched. <laughs> I know people I'll, watched. I'll, I'll leave so, you to decide. No, that. The people watched. <laughs> uh, so the, the, in case you're listening, the voice you're hearing is my now, um, I'm not long time, regular? but we're getting there. Re- yeah, regular, regular co-host Renee Kranz. How you doing, Renee? Good. I'm doing good. We're recording here now in the new year, so mm-hmm. it's official. Like you know, we because we recorded some episodes early, so we yes. were like, but happy new year. Thank you. But as people are listening to this show, it is. Do you know? Do you know what it? Is? Well, of course. I do. I do because we cheated and looked the other day. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. It's the- well, it's the baptism of the Lord this yes, weekend. Yes, this weekend. Yes. And therefore, if they're listening like the day after, so if they're listening on radio, they're going to hear this the day after, Monday, right. which is... It's an ordinary time now. It's ordinary time. I just don't know. It's a day it's, 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 in it's, ordinary time. It's Monday of the first week of ordinary right. time, if, right. if it's a Monday when folks are listening to this. So ordinary time. Back to green. Back to green. Or brown when you look outside here in South Dakota with Bernie. <laughs> well, I meant Bernie green for vestments, oh, not I know, outsidiness. I know. Yeah, no. Outsidiness. <laughs> That's a technical word that you use in journalism school. <laughs> outsidiness. So, <laughs> all right. Enough. It's a Renee. Enough inane, silly banter, <laughs> Renee. Um, infallibility. Yes. This Wonder- is a good one. I like it. Thank you. Uh, I know you like every episode of Ignition that Obviously. we do together. Um, so, the re I was thinking about and there are some specific reasons why I'm going to be teaching on this one of our parishes, uh, so it got me thinking about this just as a topic and just to start with, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of infallibility. And I was going to start just talking, but I've got you here to ask questions, to torture and <laughs> to torture and <laughs> make look stupid. Uh, and, and but I'm not, I'm not going to like sometimes I'll let you you know yeah, I'll, I'll let yeah. the rope go for a long time before right. I, I, w- I won't give okay. you. Too much rope to do anything to hang with. myself by. Uh, you said it, not me. Um, why is infallibility infallibility important? Uh, in my mind, and what I understand is, if you don't have an assurance that what you are, what the church teaches, is true, how can you know it's true? I mean, how can you trust it? How can you rely on it to be the right thing to? 
pay attention to, to believe in. Okay. So infallibility, to me, that's why it's important because otherwise, how can you trust it for sure? Otherwise, it might just be some guy's opinion. Okay. That, that's a great, and actually, that's very similar to what I was going to say, and we're going to unpack that. So, in light of that, then, to be clearer, um, infallibility may not mean what people think it means. Right. So, what does it mean? What is infallibility? What isn't infallibility? Just as a just Are you a sort of referring to infallibility of the Pope? specifically or of the church or you can answer however you'd like to you you can make the distinction the necessary distinctions well okay this time so the magisterial teaching of the church is infallible because it has to be i mean it something has to be so what does infallible mean what does it mean it means it's the truth and you can depend on that okay yeah, <laughs> okay. to be a bit more precise, <laughs> there's, you, there's no error. Right. So okay. infallible means not fallible. Fallible means uh, false right. or some falsity to it. Right. So infallible means no error. Okay. Okay, so so you made a good distinction, infallibility of the church, so the church's teachings. Mm-hmm. So, but we do talk about the infallibility of the Pope. So I just I right. I'm glad we're getting all the cards on the table and then yeah. we'll kind of look at these cards a bit more right. closely to mix metaphors. Because yeah. I always look at my playing cards very closely. Very closely. Yes. Yeah. So infallibility of the Pope. What's the difference between the infallibility of the Pope and the infallibility of the church and her teachings right. in general? I think there's a huge confusion about what we mean by when the Pope is infallible. I think a lot of people, especially outside of the church, think that that means everything the Pope says or does must be right and we must follow it. And that's not what it means at all. <laughs> what infallibility, he has to speak from the chair of Peter. He has to basically invoke that in there certain ways he has to do that. And it has to be on matters of doctrine and dogma, Faith I believe. Faith and morals. Faith and morals. Okay, so that wasn't exactly true, right? But yeah, faith Close. and morals. Yep. Um, so it's not just like, uh, some opinion because popes have opinions. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes they aren't actually fully true. True. <laughs> Their opinion, you know, opinions, obviously, opinions can be true, but just because you're the pope doesn't. Yeah, and we'll get into this more. Yes. But uh, just because you're pope doesn't mean that every one of your opinions is true. Right. So I don't know. Okay, great. So, and I think some even more, uh, and I don't maybe not as much as it used to be the case, but uh, there have been times when people, including Catholics, misunderstood infallibility to mean that when the Church says about the Pope that the Pope is infallible, that he's perfect, that he's without sin. Yeah, that's another one. Um, That's definitely not the case. I think they they confuse impeccable with. Infallible. Correct. So impeccable. Right. Impeccable means without flaw. Right. Um, so it's a matter of, yeah, no flaw whatsoever. And mm-hmm. and the all, every pope would definitely say, uh, that ain't me. <laughs> no. Um, they all acknowledge that they're sinners. They go into confession like other Catholics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, infallibility, first of all, is not the same thing as impeccability. But then, yeah, you make a really good distinction. Um Infallibility, specifically of the Pope, does not mean, as we were just saying, that every one of his opinions are true. Right. So we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. So that that's that's the basics of what it is, and we already talked about why it matters. And I, I guess I want to go back to that why it matters mm-hmm. a, a little bit as well. So at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Renee, you've um, heard 
me and others, I'm sure, talk about the Great Commission mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm glad you're nodding. We, we have it around uh, the top of our at yes, Holy Spirit you do. Parish. We Your have parish. it right. written around the top right. of the ceiling, right at the yeah. base of the at the top of the walls, yep. the base of the ceiling. So what what is the Great Commission? It, uh, roughly, if, it's if, basically Jesus sending his apostles out to make uh, apostles or disciples of all nations. Right, exactly. So baptize and make disciples of all nations. Exactly. So it's it's Matthew twenty eight verses um, eighteen and following. So the apostles come to it's the very end of Matthew's gospel. The apostles come to Jesus. This is after the resurrection, uh, and he says to them, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." Mm-hmm. So all authority has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore. So I've been given authority. And now Mm -hmm. implicitly here, I am entrusting responsibility to you. To some degree, I'm giving you a share of my authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, as you already said, Mm -hmm. baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe observe all that I have commanded you. Mm -hmm. And lo, I'm with you always until the end of the age. Mm -hmm. So this is Jesus and that's that's how Matthew's gospel ends. Matthew right. has no account of, of the, the ascension. ascension. Yeah, he doesn't have an account of Jesus rising up mm-hmm. uh, to the heavens. So this is how Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus giving this commission, this charge, this responsibility, um, this command to the men that he had chosen and formed over the course of two, three years um, during his public ministry. And they are now the ones who he's given this authority to. Again, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. So um, Jesus has entrusted the responsibility of spreading the gospel, his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. to these men. Mm-hmm. These are teachings, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So hand on to everybody that what mm-hmm. I taught you, teach them what I taught you. These teachings, um, do these teachings matter? I Why? should think so. Why? We've talked about this a lot. Because Jesus said so. <laughs> yeah, and you always lead with because he said so. He said yes, so. But why does why is it that not enough for us? <laughs> no, because he wants us to understand yes, I why. I know. So why are these teachings important? Because uh, they help us live a holy life. Holy life and get to heaven, yeah. which is one and the same thing. Yep. The holy life, holier the life. Yeah. So the quicker you get there, exactly. I guess. So so these are teachings that matter. And he told the apostles to hand them on. Uh, Let's talk about the apostles then. These are the men. So these 11 men, because Judas was one of the Mm -hmm. 12, but he's not in the picture anymore. Um, Jesus tells these apostles to hand on these life-changing, transformative teachings to all people, mm-hmm. to, to make disciples, to baptize them and to teach them, mm-hmm. um, to make them followers of his. The apostles are supposed to do this. They're supposed to teach Jesus's teachings. Let's talk about, again, let's talk about these men there. What, what, what do we know about the apostles as it relates to the responsibility they now are, have given by Jesus to teach the good news of well, we know that they're human just like us. And therefore, that And they means, make mistakes and screw yep, up and do silly yep, things. Yep. So they're not <laughs> impeccable. Nope. 
Um, no, they, they make mistakes. Uh, we re- even they even sometimes do really bad things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So Jesus or Peter denied Jesus three times. Mm-hmm. Later, after the after this, after Jesus has given this authority to them, um, after the Holy Spirit has descended upon them at Pentecost. Peter still makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a time when he's sort of acting as if um, he's with the people who say the Gentile believers still need to be baptized, and Paul calls him out. Mm-hmm. We read about that in Galatians 2, uh, where Paul writes to the Galatians about how he had to challenge even Cephas, because right. basically Peter was being a little bit hypocritical. Cephas uh, is the Aramaic word, name for Peter, um, where he was being a little bit hypocritical. Right. So Peter again, was not sinless before or after Jesus gave this authority to him and the other apostles. Um, They still make mistakes. So why do we trust them with these? why Why does Jesus entrust his teachings to them? Because the Holy Spirit is with them. Lo, I am with you until the close of the age. And Jesus says, I will, in John's gospel in particular, Jesus emphasizes that he is going to send the Holy Spirit to lead them into all truth. Okay, so we've got these 11 men that Jesus has entrusted with this responsibility. He's given this authority to them to hand on his teachings to make disciples of other men. Uh, And how are they going to do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwell, talking today with Renee Kranz about what infallibility is, what it isn't, and why it matters. Okay, so Jesus gave, the at the end of uh, his time on earth, he gave the authority he gave his authority to the apostles to teach these life changing um heaven going to salvation <laughs> these teachings that was I really don't know what just happened eloquent are you having a stroke yes maybe like <laughs> life changing teachings life changing heaven allowing no don't yeah um he trusted to sinful men to sinners mm-hmm. They are the only kind of men, after all. They are the only. <laughs> was that men and women? I, was no, it? I mean oh, men oh, as oh, a human okay. race. Thank, thank I'm not saying men. Because Bill and I took it, no. you know, no, male, no, no, no. just male men. No. You mean I'm talking all, all men humanity. as in humans? Yes. Okay, thank, okay. Thank, thanks for sure. just not being. I really didn't know I needed to explain that to you. Well, <laughs> being kind of sensitive. Thought you were making too. certain claims about <laughs> no, your the fairer all. sex. All right. And this is going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So what we read then throughout, and, and I, I wanted to focus on Matthew 28, but throughout the New Testament, we see time and time again, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit will ensure mm-hmm. that the church teaches without error. Back in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus talks about Peter in particular, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's always been understood to mean, among other things, that there will be no error taught by right. Jesus' church. Right. Paul in First Timothy chapter three verse fifteen describes the church, the pillar, uh, the, the church, the household of, household of God, as the pillar and bulwark of truth. Mm-hmm. The pillar and bulwark of truth. In uh, other places throughout the New Testament, we, we see Paul, Peter, and others talking about how to to, to receive from them what they passed on mm-hmm. to others. Mm-hmm. 
so implicit within that is this reality. And Paul talks all the time. I'm giving you the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's the pure, authentic gospel, which is passed on from Jesus first to his apostles, Mm -hmm. but then from the apostles to other men, to their spiritual successors, not their earthly successors, not their literal children, because many of them, most of them, eventually they wouldn't have children. They weren't marrying. Um, But they, the spiritual role of an apostolic successor, AKA a bishop. Mm Mm-hmm. So what's important to know, going back to Jesus, though, he 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 taught his apostles, and he told he commended them to teach others, right. uh, and some of them did come to write down what we now call the New Testament, mm-hmm. and so together with the Old Testament, we do have the Bible, but the command was to teach, right? Both, not to write down, not to write down, <laughs> both verb, and they did that verb, mm-hmm. they did do it in writing, but they also did it verbally, right? So. From the very beginning, then, what we see is basically the hierarchy of the church, mm-hmm. or that you talked about, the, you, I think you used the word early on, the magisterium, mm-hmm. Latin word, the teaching office, right. the teaching office of the church that is the pope and the bishops in union with him, whose responsibility is to perpetuate what Jesus told the apostles, right. make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything mm-hmm. that I taught the apostles. So the magisterium is not like some committee. Right. That yeah. is set yeah. aside of certain bishops or no. certain people. Right. It's right. it's the all of the bishops around the world all in the, communion yep. with the pope. In communion with the Who pope. Who is a bishop? Who is way. a bishop? He, uh, <laughs> yes. the, what's his diocese? Rome. The diocese of Rome. Yeah. The pope becomes pope. So yeah. Yeah, that's a That's another conversation. That's another conversation. But yes. but yeah, so there's not I think that's a confusion too is like they think some magisterium is just these, this committee of guys. Well, it is a committee, committee. of guys. A big darn committee. <laughs> but it's a really, it includes all of them. It's not like just a piece. No, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. So all the bishops um, together with the Pope, as you said, who is mm-hmm. a bishop, they constitute the magisterium and their job is to teach the truth of Jesus Christ. So, so the bottom line, and then we're going to get to infallibility in particular, but everything the church teaches. So I've got the Bible here and I've got the catechism mm-hmm. here. Um, Everything the church teaches is true. Uh, why? Because of the, the the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Not because of the brilliance of the church's earthly leaders, the bishops, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, not because of the holiness of the church's leaders, because right. not all of them have always been, <laughs> no. but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So everything we believe is... So I... You, we have, we have, I have, conf, I, I have uh, certainty, certitude mm-hmm. that everything the Catholic Church teaches is true. Right. So there is no error in everything the Church teaches. However, infallible, infallible um, has um, another level of importance. Okay. So everything the Church teaches is without error. So what does it mean? Now I want to focus then on the Church's teaching. Teachings as infallible. It does mean minimally that there's no error in. So that's why we have confidence. Right. That's why we have certainty right. in what the church teaches. Uh, but sometimes we talk about certain certain teach, teachings being infallibly defined or infallibly right. declared. So I just want to talk a little bit about what that means. But again, I want to re. Actually, I'm going to preface it by um, talking about what it doesn't mean. 
we as Catholics are not obliged to, or we, we don't say, well, I, I, I only believe the truths that have been fallibly defined because the other, one, the other ones, maybe they're fallible. No, 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 no. All the teachings are true. Right. Some have been infallibly defined or declared, but all of the teachings mm-hmm. are true. Mm-hmm. So we accept them all, recognizing that some of them have this extra stamp of approval <laughs> for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. um, and that that they're defined as infallible. Right. Okay. So let's talk about a little bit about what that. So, Renee, what does that mean? Do you know? Well, I don't know if I know what it means. I know that a lot of times they're declared or defined as infallible because there's some question or some something has risen up through another through another group or whatever that goes against it or teaches something against it. Right. I know that's a lot of the reason why that happens a lot of the time, but I don't know if I can define it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, if if we look to if we look at the history of the church, what we see time and time again is especially around when the, the, the councils are called. Not all of the councils, but many of the councils in the church so by council by council, what do I mean, Renee? Uh, a gathering of bishops? Yeah, an ecumenical council yeah. is a gathering of all the bishops of the mm-hmm. world uh, together with the Pope, um, and not always in Rome. The last two have been right. held, uh, actually the last few have been held in Rome, but only two have been held at the Vatican. Vatican right. One and Vatican, Vatican II. Two. <laughs> <laughs> so they're gathered together, and usually in the history of the church, um, again, most of these councils have been called to respond to some great challenge of the faith, mm-hmm. usually some great heresy, some right. false teaching uh, that is being uh, that is spreading throughout the church. Mm-hmm. So the first ecumenical council uh, was held in 325 in modern-day Turkey. Nicaea nice. was the ancient name. So uh, modern-day Turkey, the first council of Nicaea, the year 325, was called because of the Arian heresy. So Ari- the Arian heresy, um, by the that way... Had to do who, with, that had to who? do with whether or not God was... Uh, oh, Jesus was God, yeah. Yeah, and, and who was the founder of the Arian heresy? Some dude named Arian? Arius. Arius. Arius was the... Uh, any guesses? What, but there was another early church heresy, the Nestorian heresy. You want to guess who the uh, well, founder... Well, I, I of, can't say his name. Please don't make me. Nestorius. It, what, yeah, basically what it's you Nestorius. just said. I just can't say it. The, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Arius, uh, who was a bishop, mm-hmm. priest and then bishop... Um, and he wasn't like an evil mad scientist, right. but I say this all the time. He, but he, but he, he had this idea. But then he he became obstinate. Uh, he became pretty stubborn mm-hmm. in holding to his idea that Jesus was the greatest of God's creatures, but he was just right. a creature. Right. Uh, and so the the bishops of of the uh, church gather in modern day Turkey in in ancient Nicaea, um, and the Pope sent some legates, some delegates, on his behalf to speak in his name uh, to this council, and they defined no, 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 Arius, <laughs> no, <laughs> story, so we get to that story in a minute. Uh, no, Jesus is actually God. And so we have the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. God from God, light from light, true good from true God. Begotten, not made, consubstantial with mm-hmm. the Father. Okay, so you have the the bishops gather together and they make a solemn declaration mm-hmm. about Jesus. Right. That is an infallible statement. Okay. 
So there are times when, especially at ecumenical councils, but sometimes, two times in particular, popes have made solemn declarations where they're formally teaching on a matter of faith and morals, this is true. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're both about, actually, the two most, well, the two most easiest examples of Pope speaking infallibly are about Mary, that she was conceived without sin, the Immaculate Conception, and that she was assumed into Mm -hmm. heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, those were infallible declarations made by popes. Other infallible declarations have been made by um, by ecumenical councils, right. like Nicaea. Right. So quick, brief story. We just got a few minutes left, but we have to share, especially because we're so close to Christmas it's still. Let's our share lovely Saint Nicholas. Yes, our lovely Saint Nicholas. So Saint I've Nicholas. heard this is untrue, though. Well, it's probably it's probably. <laughs> But it's a great legend. It's a great story. <laughs> uh, Ni- Nicholas was a bishop. Yeah, bishop Nicholas lived Mira, during right? the time of uh, the First Council of Nicaea, 325. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a bishop actually in Turkey, modern-day mm-hmm. Turkey. So the legend is he... He probably would have, he could have easily been at the Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. All the bishops should have been there. Uh, but the legend is that in the debates, because it's true that sometimes ecumenical councils would get pretty heated. Oh, sure. I mean, t- we talk about committees and bishops today. They do tend, even when they strongly disagree, you actually, actually at least never publicly, you don't see them like getting really like. Right. Whatever. Yeah. There's no slapping. There's. <laughs> But the story is at the First Council of Nicaea, good Bishop Nicholas, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, slapped or even socked, punched Arius in the face. He said, no. He said, you've been not nice, but naughty. You get a punch uh, instead of coal. Exactly. So did that really happen? Maybe not. But, but. That does, that's in keeping with the pretty vigorous disagreements right. that arise, would arise. I can yeah. Seeing as how we have no eyewitnesses, we don't know. For no sure. eyewitness accounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. So ecumenical councils and and particular ex cathedra from mm-hmm. the chair, so formal pronouncements of the popes, very like not just even when he's teaching in a in a document like an encyclical, but when it's like right. he he's like I'm speaking yes, now like he has to say authoritatively that. Yes. in my role as Bishop of Rome, right. the See of Peter. And this matter of faith and morals, this is true. Right. And then it becomes an ex cathedra, an infallible statement. When he's flying around in his airplane and he just says something to the press, that is so, not yeah. so, an infallible statement. So Pope statement. Francis or other, right, right, yeah, yeah, that's not. Now, could could a Pope make an infallible statement flying around in an airplane? Yes, but he'd have to make clear that that's what yes. he's doing. Yes. And Pope Francis, Benedict XVI, <laughs> John Paul II, Paul VI, when they're flying around airplanes, never did that. No, uh, no other popes <laughs> flew around airplanes as far as I know. <laughs> So, so that's just a. There's a lot more we could say about infallibility, mm-hmm. but but to kind of go back, to, it, it, these are these are important teachings. They're life changing teachings. Yeah. Jesus wanted to ensure that we always have always have access to these teachings throughout history. So he gave the power of the Holy Spirit to the church in general to ensure that the teachings of Jesus Christ would remain held and guarded and taught consistently and constantly throughout history. Yeah, good. There's, there's more I could 
bring up about that, but obviously we don't have time. Well, we have 10 seconds, so... <laughs> you, oh, no, it'll you, take more than that. <laughs> no, 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 okay, all right. So, Renee, thanks again for yeah. being here on this episode of Ignition. Uh, and again, folks, if you have questions about infallibility, um, if you want to hear more about infallibility, or if you have ideas for future, future episodes of Ignition, please contact us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. And until next time, may God bless you.